You're listening to the Baby Proof Your Homeschool podcast, the podcast that gives you the support and weapons you need for the battle of homeschooling with babies, toddlers, and preschoolers. I'm Jenny Shaw, your host, and you've got episode two. Our guest today is Amanda Hayes, writer at AquinasTazelli.com, teacher for both Colby Academy and Seton Home Study, and homeschooling mom to six. She will be sharing with us how she purposefully creates space to include her family's littles in their homeschool. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for joining me tonight. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for inviting me. Great, great. Could you introduce us to your family and just tell us a little bit about them so we can have some uh, background on your homeschool? Sure, yeah. So um, I have a slightly unconventional family set up. Um, so our oldest is 16 and she's adopted. She's only been with us for four years and um, she has some special needs, the bulk of which is that she's hard of hearing. And then my next oldest and all the rest are birth children. So my next oldest mm-hmm. is 10 and then I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old in a week, and an eight-month-old. And we've been homeschooling since the start with our birth kids, and we've been homeschooling pretty much since we adopted our daughter. We started out in the public school, but that was clearly not not working for her. She was um, a non-reader when we got her, which we realized after she was placed with us. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, And she was 12, so that was a little alarming to all of a sudden have this 12-year-old who did, couldn't read at all. <laughs> mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, so we we got a court order to pull her out and homeschool her and have been homeschooling her mostly ever since. So tell us about how you purposefully include littles in your homeschool. Sure. So basically, we've never homeschooled without littles. <laughs> They've just always <laughs> been there. Um, you know, I've always had same, a, same. yeah, <laughs> right? It's, it's just when you have a baby every two or three years, as my 10 year old has told me that he's like, mommy, did you know that you have a baby every two or three years? <laughs> Why? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> oh so, man. I'm like, I was there. Remember? Right? Yeah. <laughs> really? I never noticed <laughs> when that's just your norm. It's, I've never known anything different. <laughs> so it's just, we've had to learn, you know, I've had to learn as I go. I was, I'm a former teacher. So, well, actually, and I do teach now, um, again, online, but, um, but I was a former classroom teacher. So, so I had to sort of learn on the go how to adjust this homeschooling thing. And I had to do it with a preschooler and a baby because I always have a preschooler and a baby. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we just had to, you know, dive in and I've just always had to make space for them because we usually have pretty small houses and our current house is no different. And so there's no, oh, you go play in the basement far away where I can't hear you. There, there's no such thing. You can hear everything in our house. (laughs) (laughs) My sons would burn down the house, like literally. (laughs) We haven't had any fires. We have had one try to cut a hole in the wall because he wanted to make a peak hole to see yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that is not a tip. Don't don't let them have access to the knives around the drive, right? Lock away the knives. That's number one. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've just always had to, you know, my big thing is I just try to make space for my babies and my toddlers and preschoolers, you know, where we're homeschooling. 
because when they're that age, they can't be out of my sight too much <laughs> anyway, or they do crazy things like cut holes in the drywall. But so, you know, I have to keep them with me, you know, supervised, except occasional time in their room playing quietly. But, you know, so I just really try to always set up our homeschool room learning space, wherever we happen to be learning with, you know, areas specifically geared towards the babies and the toddlers. Um, yeah, in fact, right now we're moving into a phase, uh, where now my eight month old is crawling sooner than expected. And so, uh, I gearing up for this next year, part of getting ready for lesson for the school year is not just lesson planning. It's I'm uh, carving out a corner in our homeschool room for him, you know, to put a basket of his toys you know, and a blanket that he can play on and like just some new toys and different toys that will hold his interest. And, you know, we even went as far as to, we got, we had a futon in our basement homeschool room, guest room, family room, whatever it is. Um, and we had a futon there for guests, but the thing is it was terribly uncomfortable to sit on to like nurse the baby or anything. So we got a couch with a pullout couch so we can still have guests, but it's much more nursing friendly. So I can sit and nurse him while I'm listening to my five-year-old read her um, phonics books to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have couches in here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even for the toddlers, it's great because then I don't have to say if I'm in a chair, I, I can't have like five kids sitting on me in a chair. <laughs> But in a couch, I can say, okay, sure, yeah, you crawl in on this side while I read a book to, that's really geared towards this older kid. But if the toddler's listening in, okay, great, that's great too. Um, yeah, so that's the large part of our homeschool philosophy that comes out of necessity partly. And also, you know, I feel like, well, I homeschool because I want to be around my kids, you know, and... I want them to have the influence of myself, my husband, and their older siblings. And it's nice because when the toddlers see their big siblings doing school, now my, whereas with my first, it was very awkward to sit down in kindergarten when he got to kindergarten age. I'm like, okay, we should like do lessons or something. And he was sort of like, why are we doing this? Why can't I go play? And now, but the two-year-old now, or almost three-year-old is, um, you know, she begs, she carries around a binder and she says, I'm going to do school. And she's already excited to do school. So right, has that love of learning. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So for her, it's the norm. So when it comes time to really sit down and teach her stuff um, in, in an academic way, it'll be just a part of her day anyway. She'll just be doing, instead of her little toddler things, she'll be doing actual work. Mm -hmm, and instead mm -hmm. of coloring, she'll be doing handwriting and, and math and stuff. You mentioned like there was a special corner and the school area toys and things like that. What else do you do that's age specific for your younger set? Yeah. So, okay. So with babies, it's mostly just entertaining them and being able to, you know, feed them and stuff without disrupting school. Um, but with the toddlers and preschoolers, they're a little more high maintenance sometimes. Um, with them, I have set up uh, work boxes, which I did back with my first because I wanted him to do, you know, he was a very eager learner and I wanted to do stuff with him and I was excited to do that. But I also didn't want to be 
sitting down a child, you know, three or four year old at a desk to do stuff. And that, that felt very artificial and not age appropriate. And so I was very, I read a lot of Montessori books and stuff at the time. So I do work boxes with Montessori style activities, Um, you know, just little things to work on things like fine motor skills, colors, um, and also just fun stuff. You know, I'll, I'll cycle in puzzles or, um, uh, coloring pages and things into the work boxes for my, um, for my three-year-old. And so she'll feel like she's doing school and she'll have, and that way also it's new activities. Cause if I just have her play with the same old things she's always playing with, it'll, she'll lose interest. Mm-hmm. I mean, if she's really into something, like right now she's in a Duplo phase, she could spend hours playing Duplo. So mm-hmm. I will probably this fall bring the Duplo bin downstairs and just let her go at it a good bit. Um, but when she loses interest in that, I've got the work boxes there. And if she starts getting pesty or um, wandering around or getting into things, I can redirect her and say, no, no, no. Why don't you why don't you take out why don't you take out this toy? Why don't you look at this? You know, how about you do this? And and just sort of make sure that there's a space for her too. Cause I feel like it it wouldn't be fair to ask her to, you know, sit in the room quietly without oh, stuff boy. for yeah. her to do specifically. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that's never happened in my house. Right, exactly. <laughs> it just would not work. Yeah, so, my five boys would know. <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. Yes. And I had two boys first before I had all these girls. So I still think of things like a boy mom, like, okay, what are they gonna get into? <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. So maybe we'll add dolls into the mix this year, but <laughs> that'll be new. <laughs> So what do you think your students are learning by having that exposure to their younger siblings every day in in a school setting? Oh, that's a really good question. Because I think so many times people think about what the younger child is learning by the example of the olders. And I think the olders are learning so much more. They're learning, well, first of all, they're learning humility. They're learning that they're they're not the center of the world, that there are other people who have greater needs than theirs, you know, namely the toddler who can't even reach the snack she wants or the baby, you know, who can't change his own diaper. And, and so they're learning humility in having to wait. And I think in a classroom, students, they're all around very capable peers. They even, if a child has too many special needs, even like my daughter who's hard of hearing, they just sort of like end up putting them in a corner (laughs) on a computer system. And they just sort of like slowly push them out of the classroom with good intentions. But what ends up happening is only only the most able kids are in the classroom. So when you're only around peers who are all very able, it, it feels kind of, you know, you're not forced to be picked to wait as often or to put others' needs first because you all have equal needs. And I think in a more natural family environment, you know, where the, where the little ones are with you um, while you're homeschooling, you have to realize that your need for quiet while you read a novel might be reasonable, but it might be that you have to, in a way, get over that. You may have to learn to deal with some noise. And, you know, on the other hand, you know, of course, we ask the little ones, you know, if there are certain things like during my daughter during her phonics lessons, she is hard of hearing. So he, she hears she hears the weirdest things with her 
hearing aids. And we, we all have to be very sensitive to that because she can hear something across the room the same as it is next to her. So she can't necessarily hear me next to her any better than she hears the toddler goofing off and squealing in the corner. So everybody knows that if it's phonics time, that is one time everybody has to sort of set aside their noises and try their best to be reasonably quiet. But on the other hand, my daughter, instead of like in the schools where they were, you know, her IEPs were constantly, let's make this perfect environment where there's no distractions. So I'm like, that's not real life. When she goes to a job, there will be distractions. And so she has to, you know, I have to sometimes remind her, you know, you know what? They're too, they can't be perfectly quiet. Just use the things we've talked about. Use the things your hearing therapist has mentioned to you and try to focus in on the sounds that are important right now. And so I think it just teaches humility and patience and also brings a little bit of lightheartedness. I mean, whereas with older kids, you could just sit and like sort of hit the books hard, you know, especially with fairly, most of my kids are fairly academic. They pick things up fairly quick. Um, and with toddlers, sometimes, you know, they just, they do crazy things. They pull all the flour out of the out of the cabinet and all of a sudden your entire kitchen's full of flour and everybody has to stop <laughs> and just laugh because what else can you do? Right. Well, there's this like two year old covered in flour. <laughs> just just little things, you know, they just and sometimes <laughs> they'll they'll beg for a story. They'll be like, Oh, oh, can I see that? Can I can I see that book? Can I do this? And and my ten year old will stop his math and he'll go read a story to his little sister. And I think that's really good for them too, to take those little, in a classroom, we call those brain breaks, <laughs> but in homeschool, we call that life. <laughs> so yeah. So I think it provides good balance to them as well. What do you think the littles are picking up through their, their osmosis? They're seeing that example of we're at home working and praying together, that that is a natural part of our day is we, we read things, we write things, we talk about things, uh, we work with materials, you know, that all of life is, is work. It's not just play because as much as play is great, play is also a child's work. And as they get older, it just sort of transition naturally. And I feel like um, sometimes kids don't see that natural thing. And, and our, our young kids see they see the five-year-old working in her five-year-old way, you know, in her little kindergarten stuff. They, they see the, the seven-year-old working and growing into being an independent reader. And they see the 10-year-old working on much higher level stuff that involves more discussion and in-depth thought and really fascinating stuff. And, and they see the high schooler getting ready for like independent life, you know. And they also see me because I work from home in addition um, – I teach for Colby Academy and I also work for Seton Home Study. Um, so, and I do that from home. So they see me working. So they see that everybody works at their own sort of level, their own pace. And, and that's part of why I give them their own little toddler work because I want them to feel respected for their, that what we perceive as play for them is work. You know, these little activities and stuff, that, that is their schoolwork. That is them learning. If you were a new mom, maybe, you know, you only have a, you know, a seven-year-old and you're, you're now preschooler. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to start including them in your school day, what are some things that you would suggest starting with? 
I mean, maybe, you know, activities to curate or advice or, you know, it could be, it could be the tangible or intangible, just practical steps to get her started. Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say, especially for those ages, because they're fairly, seven-year-olds are still, they need a lot of one-on-one help still. So you might be doing a lot of ping-ponging sort of back and forth, you know, like spend a little bit of time with your, well, actually at that age, a lot of them could both benefit from sort of calendar time. And, you know, I made like a magnetic calendar and and we just talked about the days of the week and stuff. And for your older kid, you can talk about things like patterns and seasons and really really talk about the bigger things and go into the phases of the moon and stuff. But if you're a little kid, you're just talking about getting them the concept of today, tomorrow, and yesterday, and and that there are months of the year and seasons and stuff. And so if you start off together and sort of, you know, start off together, sort of input a little bit into the younger one, then you can set up the little one with doing something independent for a bit, you know, set up some little, um, you know, puzzles or something. I Our work boxes are just those like, Ikea Trofast um, little uh, drawer things. And each drawer has a different activity in it. And so I think I saw that on the um, the Tot School blog um, long ago. So, and so, yeah, then you can have the younger one do some independent work with that stuff, you know, that you've already set out. Um, and there are all sorts of activities for preschoolers out there. There's so many cool things. The No Time for Flashcards blog, and there's so many different options out there. I would suggest not going overkill with the prep heavy ones though, because you'll drive yourself crazy <laughs> if you're trying to like spend hours, you know, cutting out paper squirrels or something for an activity. Oh, no. Like no, 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 no. <laughs> like no, you you get yourself some little plastic counting bears and like you call mm-hmm. it good. <laughs> and so um but yeah and then since you've already spent a little one on one time you know a little time with the younger kid you can have time to sit with your seven-year-old and work on the phonics stuff or the, you know, the reading aloud to you and the writing and really always focus on, you know, kind of try to hit those, whatever your like minimum viable homeschool day is. If that's, you know, language, arts, math, and religion. Great. If it's, you know, history and science and, and uh, language arts, great, you know, do that. But do that first so that that way, if the day goes to heck because the, you know, three-year-old throws a fit or they're potty training and all of a sudden they decided they're not potty trained and you're dealing with that all day, then at least, you know, you got the, you got the basics in and you can always add in a little read aloud later in the evening to make up the difference. And you just expect those disruptions because if you don't expect them, you'll be resentful of them and if you expect them and they don't happen you're pleasantly surprised (laughs) but nine times out of ten they will happen and that's okay because that's that's life it's it's fine so when it comes to expectations what would you say would be a positive expectation for those younger age children we talked about, you know, that they're not going to sit there completely, you know, silent in a chair. Mm-hmm. What would you say is a is a realistic expectation to have? Yeah. So one thing I tend to require is that they stay in 
because we do have a family room downstairs that is sort of set aside with our learning stuff, I try to keep them contained in that room so that I can keep, because mm-hmm. if they start wandering upstairs, then before I know it, there's flour all over the kitchen or there's, you know, holes in the wall <laughs> or, or just silly things have happened or they just, yeah, they, they spill a cup of water all over the place. So I try to keep them. So I try to, I expect them to stay in the room unless they've asked permission or me or one of the older kids, like if I can tell they're really getting really antsy, I'll proactively ask one of the older kids to take them out in the backyard to play for a little bit or take them upstairs to do something, or I'll take them up to, you know, um, you know, to take a potty break or, or something. And my kids generally nap till three or four. So, you know, I'll, I'll take them up for nap and stuff. But, um, but yeah, so I try to, keep them in the same room and they can't be like screaming, especially because my daughter ha- is hard of hearing. We ironically, you would think that would mean we could be as loud as we'd like. Um, but with her hearing aids in, it causes that issue. And so um, of not being able to distinguish near sounds from far sounds and it picks up human voices very well. So if she's listening to her Matthew C DVD, which she reads the subtitles as well. She has to be able to, have as quiet as possible and read the subtitles, which aren't perfect. There's always mistakes in those. So between the two, she's fine. But um, if, you know, if, if one of the other kids is being super loud at that time, you know, I have to, you know, nix that and, and do whatever I can to get them quiet. Adapt. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there are points where we have to keep it quieter than other people would have to, but generally, happy noises don't bother me. <laughs> Screaming or tantrums bother me, but, but happy noises don't really bother me. So. Yeah. It's always a struggle for me to discern. Is this a realistic expectation for this two-year-old or is this just, you know, my downfall of being annoyed, the le- the different levels right. of noise that, that tends to be my struggle, you yeah. know, so, so-and-so is asking this question, but then somebody else is, you know, adding this layer and then somebody else is adding this layer, you know, and I'm like, I can't even, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. Your brain starts going crazy. You're like, I can't possibly <laughs> listen to everybody. At right. Once. I'm like, what, yes. what is, what are y'all even saying? Cause it's so much, I, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes honestly, what's a reasonable exp- expectation for one child will be a different will will be different than what's reasonable for another child. I have children who are very chill, <laughs> very just sort of compliant, chill, quiet kids, you know? Um, yeah. My, my seven-year-old Peter is a um, very, he's the one who cut a hole in the wall. He's um, quite mischievous, but he's extremely quiet about it. Oh yes. <laughs> but the girls on the other hand, are more compliant, but goodness, they are loud. I just, uh, the level of the volume of the girls <laughs> is just this whole other thing. <laughs> Before we sign off, what encouragement do you have for mothers that are homeschooling that also have little? So I guess my encouragement would be that you can do this because historically, this is normal. Historically, you know, sociologically, to educate your children with 
other children around, even historically a, a quite large family, you know, that's, you know, our modern day families tend to be a lot smaller. Um, and so, but yeah, historically mothers would have babies every two to three years or so for, you know, a span of, of 20, you know, 15, 20 years. And they would of course be educating those other children. You know, schools are not the norm historically. So generally you'd be educating your children up to 14 or 15 at home. And often they lived with you even beyond that, but just were working instead of, you know, learning because schools ended sooner at that point. But, you know, like, like learn the idea of how long someone needed to learn, you know, was, was shorter, but, but yeah, but just that this is, this is the norm that all, all cultures, all generations have done this up until the last few, up until the last say 150 years. And so, um, yeah. And so if they've done it, you can do it. And if some, if the way you would, you would envision homeschool is impossible to do with toddlers, Maybe the toddler isn't the problem. Maybe you need to re-envision homeschool in a way that embraces the toddler. That can be a, a big stumbling block because we can get in our heads, you know, school is supposed to look exactly like this. And, you know, a certain way, either if you were homeschooled before or if mm-hmm. you were coming from the public school or a private school setting and you know, it's hard to get over those preconceived notions of what education should, should look like. So to be able to have that freedom and embrace that freedom, I think, I think that's very encouraging. Right. It is. So can you tell us where we can find you online and, and what you, you've been up to lately? Sure. So I used to be online a good deal more. And, um, and then I took a break from blogging because my husband, uh, who was a Lutheran pastor converted to Catholicism. So um, to avoid uh, family drama over that process, you know, while he was trying to decide what he wanted to do with that, I sort of took down my whole family blog because really there was nothing to say, um, that would not give away that. So, yeah. So, and I've sort of restarted just barely at Aquinas Tizelli homeschool, um, on Instagram and Aquinas blog. I only have a few blog posts up. I just sort of gotten into that now, that I'm coming out of the pregnancy and newborn phase mm-hmm. with my seven month old and have time mental space for that. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so the best place to find me is really Aquinas Cizelli homeschool on Instagram. I post fairly regularly on there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to talk to me. <laughs> no, it was fun. <laughs> so I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. You can find links to the things we mentioned today in the show notes at barefootabby.com forward slash BYH2. You can also submit questions for personal troubleshooting there. And if this podcast is a blessing to you, please take a few seconds to share it and leave a review on iTunes so it is easier to find for our other sisters in arms. Thank you so much for listening. And until episode three, just keep thriving in the trenches. And remember, you are not alone in this fight.